Welcome to the Accra Community Church Podcast. COVID-19 has turned the world upside down. But is there any hope for us in these dark times? As you listen to God's word today, may it become for you fresh water for your thirsty soul, give you hope to cope, and wisdom to thrive, excel, and become everything God says you are. God bless you as you listen to today's sermon. Today we, we, we are beginning a new series for our Sunday services. We, will look, we are going to look at the book of Ephesians. Amen. Amen. And uh, to appreciate the book of Ephesians, you need to get a sense of the history and the context in which the book was written. Amen. So today, in fact, I'm supposed to treat Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 1 to 14, but I don't think that Ephesians is one of those super-packed books that I don't think we we can even do it justice within within the 20 minutes. But let's start. Let's see where God will lead us. I want us to first and foremost go to the book of Acts. So even though we are doing Ephesians chapter 1, even though we are doing Ephesians chapter 1, we are actually going to start from the book of Acts. Amen. Amen. So let's go to Acts chapter 19. It's quite a bit of a read, but I think it helps to put things in context for us. So I'll quickly go to Acts and then chapter 19. Acts 19. Amen. So This is on Paul's third missionary journey. The Bible says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus. On the coast where he found several believers. So he found several believers in Ephesus already. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. No, they replied. We haven't heard heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience? He asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who could come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Verse 8. Then Paul went to the synagogue and prayed boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn, rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way. So Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him. Then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for the next two years, so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of God. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. This is interesting. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had nearly touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. Let me jump to verse 23, the riot in Ephesus. About that time, serious troubles developed in Ephesus concerning the way. Anytime you see the way, they are talking about the church. It began with Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. Her name, her other name is Diana. So when you hear of the god Diana, it is the same one. He kept many craftsmen busy. He called them together along with other 
others employed in similar trades and address them as fellows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. But as you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Amen. I'll cut it short. But basically, Ephesus was a very vibrant city. It was about the third most powerful city. In terms of population and commerce, they were, it was as, as vibrant and as rich as Rome. It just happened that Rome was the capital. And this city was famous for their idol worship. It was a very, very cosmopolitan city. And when I think of this city, uh, I've been thinking through what city can I compare Ephesus to? And Accra comes to mind, but I don't think Accra is a very good picture. Uh, this is a city where you, ha you had a lot of modernity and advancement and a lot of business. And because of the inland harbor, a lot of boats and ships used to come through because their harbor was connected to the uh, agency. People came in and out. Uh, people were doing business and all that. But also there was a lot of idolatry. You know, you'll be passing through Accra and you see these shrines dedicated to certain gods. And uh, they believed that the statue of Artemis fell from the sky. Uh, we know of schools that purportedly fell from the sky in Ghana. And then uh, you drive through Accra and you see certain trees and certain shrines all over the place. And when they realized that, when Demetrius and, and co realized that a lot of people were leaving idol worship and turning to the way they were becoming Christian and so were destroying their idols and were no longer patronizing the, the idols, you know, they revolted and Paul and Co got into trouble, but the revolt was because of the financial loss. Amen. So when we go to Ephesians chapter one and we start reading Paul's letter, at least because of Acts chapter 19, we get a sense of the kind of community he was writing to. Amen. And I felt that it helped to establish that. Today we would say that Ephesus is in present day Turkey, uh, the country we now call Turkey. Uh, this, is, this is where Ephesus was, you know. And, and so let's go, to, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1 and see what we can glean from, from that amazing, uh, amazing book. I have looked at it and I've read many versions, but the version I feel that I wanted to use for, for today is actually the message. Now, to understand how Paul, the excitement which, with which Paul wrote Ephesians, when you read the, the greetings is just verse, verse 1 and 2. So he says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus, who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Full stop. Now, from verse 3 to verse 14, in the original Greek, it's all just one sentence, you know. So from verse 3, the verse we're about to read all the way to the end. In English, they've thrown in a lot of punctuation marks to make it easy to read. But when Paul was, was writing this, his excitement was so high that from verse 3 all the way to verse 14 is one sentence. So theologians like to call it uh, the doxology, basically something written in praise of God. Uh, and, uh, but it's, it's powerful. And I want to read from the message. It says, how blessed is God and what a blessing he is. So this is from verse three. Uh, how blessed is God and what a blessing he is. He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessings 
blessing in him. Long before he laid down earth's foundation, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we are a free people, free of penalties and punishments, chopped up by all our misdeeds, and not just barely free either, abundantly free. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything will be brought together and summed up in him, everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth. It is in Christ, this is important, verse 11, it is in Christ that we find out who we are. Amen. So our identity comes from Christ. And what we are living for, we find our identity in Christ, we find our purpose in Christ. Verse 11, it is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eyes on us had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. It is in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed it, this message of your salvation, found yourselves home free, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. This signet from God is the first installment of what's, what's coming, a reminder that We'll get everything God has planned for us, a praising and glorious life. Amen. I decided to get the simplest version I could find because you start reading this in the King James, you read it in the NLT, you read it in the NIV, and it is, it, it's head-filling. It's so head-filling, you don't even know where to start from. But a lot of the times, and I remember one time when I asked on Facebook, I said, how many Christians are looking forward to the second coming of Christ? And when you think of the second coming of Christ, or when you think of Judgment Day, what do you see? Do you see a, an angry God about to punish us for our sins, or do you see a loving Father eager to embrace his children? And I had a number of respondents. Quite a number of them were Christian. And to my dismay, all the Christians said, we see an angry God about to punish us for our sins. And then we read this account. You know, this, this is the summary of the gospel. This is the summary of everything Christianity stands for. And in this, we see a father who is eager and excited. He says before, before he laid the foundations of the earth, before creation, he had already planned our salvation. Amen. So before we were born, a lot of us love to quote Jeremiah and say, before I was in my mother's womb, he knew me. And before I was born, he had ordained me to be a prophet unto his people. We call these things. And the Bible says, no, 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 no. It goes way, way, way before you were born, way before your, your mother and your father met. Amen. He says, even before he made the world, this is verse 4, and I'm reading the NLT. He says, even before 
he made the world. God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Amen. Amen. So if we are here, one of the first things the book of Ephesians teaches us that we are not an accident. Amen. 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 We may have been born in circumstances that make it appear as though we were an accident. We may have been born out of wedlock, maybe even out of rape, uh, out of unpleasant circumstances. Uh, maybe it was an accident, you know. Somebody didn't check the calendar well, and we happened. All based on the level of rejection we experienced from our biological parents or from society. Many times we question, why am I here? Am I a mistake? And the Bible tells us, no, 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 no. You are not a mistake at all. All praises to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, and he has blessed us with all these spiritual blessings because even before he made the world, he loved us and he had chosen us. Amen. So we are God's chosen people. Amen. This is a scripture, this is a scripture that Peter affirmed when he says we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You know, we are people God has called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen. So if you are here and, and, and you are listening to us, please know that there is nothing about your life that is an accident. Amen. Amen. There's nothing about your life. In verse 5, he says, God decided, it was a decision. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. Adoption. I love that word. I, I, I have friends who either were adopted or themselves have adopted. And I see that always as a blessing because the whole concept of Christianity is based on the concept of adoption. Amen. Amen. Says God decided in advance to adopt us. Why did he decide to adopt us? Because this is the power of adoption. It doesn't matter where you're originally from. If you're originally born in some gutter, in some slum, somewhere in the world, in some bush unwanted, and the most powerful person in the world adopts you. Let's say the Queen of England adopts you. From the day she signs those adoption papers, everything Prince Charles is entitled to, everything any of her biological children are entitled to, from that day you become entitled to the same things. Amen. Yeah. Yes, your past may have been different, but your future is actually going to be exactly the same as the future of all her children. Amen. Amen. And a lot of the times when we come to this faith, our challenge is an understanding that our past actually doesn't matter. From the day Christ Jesus becomes our Lord and Savior, from the day we accept him as our Lord and Savior, we become adopted. Amen. Amen. The adoption paper is signed and sealed by his blood, by the blood he shed on Calvary's tree. Because of that blood, he pays for our sins and for our debts, and he redeemed us. He, he, he redeems us. And so the Bible says that for we know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that we were redeemed from the empty ways of life, but we were redeemed through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And when we get adopted, a lot of the times the challenge is that even though we are new people, 
we have a new name, we, we have a new culture, we have a new identity. Sometimes we struggle to forget the language of our past, the culture of our past, the behavior of our past. So many of us, some of the worst experiences we've had in life, we had them in church. We had them in church. We had terrible experiences with church people. Some of the most heartbreaking experiences we've had, we had with church people. And so there are people who, because of these negative encounters, don't even want to be part of church anymore. But when a Christian fully understands who they are in Christ, if they find their purpose and their meaning in Christ, what we call new creation reality sets in. Amen. So verse 6, it says, So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He's so rich in kindness and grace. This is the God we serve. He's not some wicked, mean, vengeful, angry old man with a long white beard with a cane looking to lash you for every mistake. No. Verse 6 says, he says, so we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Verse 7, he says, he is so rich in kindness and grace. Hallelujah. Do you believe that God is rich in kindness and grace? Is this something we truly believe? If we look at our lives, do we believe that God is so rich in kindness and grace that there is no good thing that is worth having that if we ask him, he won't give to us? He says that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgive our sins. Amen. There is true freedom in Christ Jesus. Amen. I know that. Sometimes when we pray that God deliver me from this, I don't know what you're, you're struggling with or somebody you know is struggling with. Sometimes you pray, say, God deliver me from alcoholism and instantly you are delivered. And there are other times when he decides to make it a journey. It becomes a slow death crucifixion. But whether for you overcoming a particular addiction or a particular sin is a daily exercise of faith or you experience a one-time deliverance, the scriptures don't change. He says, God is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son, Jesus, and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on, all, on, on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. Amen. Amen. And, you know, <laughs> the scriptures are, are so, they are so rich and so intense that sometimes you're like, do we have enough time to even dig deep? Or should I just do an overview. Amen. But, but I think that what I want to leave you with is that I want to make you extra excited and curious and interested in reading more about the book of Ephesians because it sums up everything about our faith. And uh, I, I, he says, God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. I think in verse 3, he says, uh, um, he says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And I wanted to end with a list of these spiritual blessings because you read it, but what does it mean? You know, and so I did a compilation of, of, of uh, some of these spiritual uh, blessings. In total, there are about 15 of them, but uh, looking at the time, uh, let me quickly see how much time I have left. ACC, we don't joke with our time. Time is, okay. Uh, I see time is up. So we have to actually go into question time now. <laughs> time is up, but uh, I'll list them quickly 
the time for the sermon is up, but I'll list them quickly and then please spend time and go through them. So the spiritual blessings, you can also call them spiritual benefits we get in Christ. Verse, verse 4 says that he chose us before the foundations of the world. So we know that we are chosen. We are not an accident. Amen. He chose us. Amen. Uh, the second one is that we are holy and blameless. This has nothing to do with what you are struggling with. It is who you are in Christ. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, you are now holy and blameless. Amen. The third one is that we are in his love. Amen. It is not, uh, God didn't save us grudgingly. He loves us. It's in Christ, you stand in agape or unconditional love. You cannot earn it. Today, you are unconditionally loved in Christ. Amen. Uh, the fourth one is that we are predestined to adoption. It sounds like a lot of words, but what it simply means is that God has predetermined, before you were born, before you were created, he had already decided that in Christ, he was going to save you. He has selected you to be his son or daughter. You are a part of his family. You are not a, an outsider. You are a part of his family. And this is a plan he made long ago, something he chose, uh, a decision he made a long time ago. So you are a part, you are a very legitimate part of God's family. Amen. You don't need to be a pastor to have access to God. You have as much access to God as any bishop, any pope, any archbishop, any pastor, any deacon. Amen. You are accepted in the beloved. You are not rejected. Amen. We are, we are accepted. We are not an outcast. We don't come to Christ begging like strangers. No, we come because we are accepted. We are part of his family. The sixth one is that we have redemption. We've been redeemed through Jesus Christ's blood that he shed on Calvary. Outside of Christ, we were slaves to sin and we were condemned to death. We couldn't save ourselves. You know the song, he paid the debt he did not owe. We owe the debt we couldn't pay. You know, but through his blood, we've been saved. Amen. Seven is forgiveness of sins. All our sins have been forgiven. There is no sin so gruesome that the blood of Jesus cannot cover. There is no sin so deep he cannot fill out. Amen. He has forgiven our sins. And then riches of his grace abound to you. Amen. We are made known uh, to the mystery of his will. Amen. This is where we, so the Christian finds their purpose in Christ. Amen. And, and they find their identity in Christ. That is what that is about. Amen. I think I'll end there. Uh, there is so much. If, if I follow all the content, we won't finish today. If you have any questions, any contributions, uh, any questions, any contributions, uh, please uh, make them. Amen. Uh, Ephesians is exciting, and I can't wait for the other teachers who will be continuing. Today, I felt that let's pretty much just establish what the book is about, what led to its writing. Paul wrote it in prison. He wrote it around the same time he wrote uh, uh, the, the letter to the Colossians. So they, they are around the same time. Amen. Uh, I'm looking, I'm waiting to see some questions in the chat section. For, for uh, whilst I wait for the questions, I want you to know. So anybody struggling with the identity, anybody who feels that uh, they are unwanted, anybody struggling with rejection, uh, depressed because they feel alone, Ephesians chapter 1 is for you. It says that, listen, all of your life, before you were born, God had a plan for you. And as long as Jesus Christ is your Lord and personal Savior, he has put the Holy Spirit on you as a seal to show you that your future is sorted out. Amen. Let's, let's pray. 
Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your children, and I thank you for your word. I thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for this rich book. We thank you for all the many lessons. We thank you that we are adopted. We thank you that you predestined us. We, you had a plan to save us even before the world was created, to save us through Christ Jesus. We thank you. We thank you for who we are in you. We thank you that our truest identity is in you. And we thank you that it is in you that we find our purpose. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, who is the seal upon our lives. May you watch over us through these COVID times. May you show yourself faithful on our behalf. And Father, all the spiritual blessings that are ours because of Christ Jesus, may they become realities in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So my question is that um, in Ephesians 3, it says that all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So spiritual blessing, I wanted to ask that, um, does this mean circular or physical blessing? Or is, I mean, there's a difference between physical and spiritual blessing. Uh, I, I, okay, so, does it, so Gloria is asking if there's a difference between spiritual blessings and uh, physical blessings or worldly yeah. blessings or secular blessings. Yes. Is there any difference? Does anybody have an answer? Okay, so it's simple. So the, another way to look at spiritual blessings is to look at it from the perspective of covenant. Amen. So you realize that in the Old Testament, oh, Brahima wants to talk. Okay. Uh, Brahima, please. Uh, uh, and then I'll go ahead, finish up. I think I started well. Okay, okay. So uh, the, it's one of the easiest ways is to realize that when God made a covenant with Abraham, Okay, mm-hmm. and out of which, you know, the whole nation, the, 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 what we call the Abrahamic covenant, it was, it was actually a physical covenant. So males were circumcised on the, and, and physical blood was shed. And then he said, I'll bless you. So you look at a, 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 a Deuteronomy 28, mm-hmm. it says, if you obey me, then I'll bless you in the city. I'll bless you in your going out. I'll protect you. And this, 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 all those blessings are physical. Okay, they are all physical. What is unique about this, the spiritual blessings, is that now it deals with who we are in Christ, our new identity in God, and the fact that spiritually there's this spiritual transformation where, so, and and that is what I started listing, you know, so uh, 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 all the changes that happened in the spirit realms in terms of identity, now we are adopted. So we are legitimate children of God. And, and, and so actually, if, if you read the whole book of Ephesians and you get to chapter 6, where it says, uh, the armor of God, you know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood and all that. A lot of it was really about protecting who we have become in Christ, the spiritual blessings, because there are many things that happen in the natural that sometimes make us doubt who we have become in Christ. Amen. So these are spiritual blessings. Amen. Uh, Brahma, please, I, I hope my answer was, uh, you can exp- expansiate. Hello. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. I, I think that this is good. Um, I, I was just saying that much as the, the, the spiritual is the source of all physical, these spiritual blessings work out physical blessings. They work out physical benefits. If you are living a life full of the assurance that you are forgiven, it gives you a reassurance of how to do the thing that you engage in daily. If you are living a life knowing that you are redeemed by the grace of God, it gives you a confidence that makes you to do your work well. There's no 
there's no trouble inside that affects you physically. So I think that, yes, there are spiritual blessings in the, in the sense that they have eternal benefits. But that also means that there is a physical benefit connected to it. If you are living a life that is filled with um, guilt and accusation, um, you can't be productive. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Any other questions? Raima, thank you for that contribution. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. I thank you for thank you for sharing from Ephesians. It's, it's a great sharing, and I I suffer with you for the time. You don't have to express it. You are as excited as Paul was when he wrote it. It looks like. Amen. Hi. Yes. Yeah. My 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 questions are these: If uh, God, which I know is loving, caring, uh, compassionate. Why is it that we have to ask things severally to get an answer? For instance, if my son asks me something, one or two, yeah, that, that compassion as a human being comes in, as a mother comes through for me to help him. So why is it that there is so much wickedness going on around the world, not only material things? People are suffering emotionally, but uh, there seems not to be any God to, to answer them. Yet we, we, we say he is loving. If he is that loving, why is it also that uh, there is hell to punish somebody? If my son sins, if my son wronged me, will I put him in a pit of fire? Hell no. So if we claim he is that loving, he is that caring, why does he want to punish us if we go wrong? Okay. I think these are very good questions, Sarah. Uh, does anybody want to contribute an answer? <laughs> I know Bra Matthew enjoys answering these questions, but if, if anybody else would yeah. want to, does anybody want to answer Siram's questions? Okay, Pastor Joe, please speak. Yes. I'm just going to say that it's um, not an easy question to answer. We can't pretend to fully understand it all. But the truth is that there is nothing in God that is not of love. God is love through and through. And his um, origins and intentions for man was for a loving relationship. And the scriptures show it from beginning to end. From Genesis all the way, first two books of the Bible, last two books of Revelation, shows us a God of love wanting to live with us happily ever after. That's how the, the Bible started in the Garden of Eden. And that's how it ends in Revelation. That is God's plan. The trouble is the in-between. Between Genesis 1 and 2 and the last two chapters of Revelation, a lot has happened. And to summarize what has happened, it's all an epic love story, started in love, ends in love. But in between, a lot went wrong. A lot went wrong. Several factors came in, including sin. And so the ramifications of sin came in as well. And all the sufferings we go through as a result of that, not because God wants that to happen, but somehow sin came in and all that happened. So what I would say is that I'm happy about the book of Ephesians. If Syrian will come in every Sunday, by the time we finish Ephesians, you will understand that God's love is true and is real. That's the whole theme of Ephesians. It summarizes the Bible doctrine like you were saying, from before the foundations of the earth to the very end. We begin to understand that it's an epic love story through and through. And even the in-between all shows God's love. And that's why Ephesians chapter 1, what you just taught us today, stresses so much in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Because in Christ, we begin to experience this love. Outside of Christ, there is no promise of the enjoyment of this love. Seriously. So she would discover by the end of Ephesians study that once we are in Christ, hell is not an option for us. It's not at all. 
Amen. It's not an option, but it's not a, a two-minute answer yeah. you know, that we can give. It, it takes a lot of study. And Ephesians, I'm happy, is going to give her that answer by the time we finish. Amen. Amen. And I think that, thank you so much, Pastor Joe. And I think what I'll add to that, Sarah, okay. you have to yeah. understand that what is unique, God's most peculiar gift he gave to mankind, apart from the fact that he created us in his image and his likeness, is that he gave us free will. So uh, when, when we say God puts people in hell, he actually doesn't put people in hell. But he's designed a system. And the system says that. I feel like you, you, live, you live in a country with, with a system. So the system says that if you do this and you do that, if you drive at a certain speed, you get a ticket. You, know? you can choose to say the government, why is the government giving me a ticket? Or you can also look at it and say that, no, no. I, on my own volition, decided that I was going to break the speed limit. And so, actually, I am the one who has chosen this punishment. But look at the world now. Look at a world where people sin and get away with it. A huge part. And this is, this is what we, we, we refuse to see. But imagine that God said, oh, there is no punishment for sin. Why are we suffering in this world? We are suffering in this world. It isn't because God doesn't love us, but because human beings are cruel and selfish and greedy. You know, uh, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, that in the last days, perilous times, difficult times will come. Why? Because men will be lovers of themselves and they will be selfish and greedy and they won't fear God. You know, so it is the wickedness and the pain in this world are not caused because God doesn't love us, but because human beings are by their very nature, very self-centered and greedy. And so if you actually imagine a world where now there is no punishment for sin at all, how will we survive? Because in countries where the law is effective in punishing people, people obey the law and they don't always obey the law because they want to obey the law but they know the consequences. They, they know if they do this, they will lose their home. They know if they do this, they are going to jail. And then you come to countries like Ghana, where sometimes you know that if you find some one city or 10 cities and, and give it to the police officer, you can get away with it. So a vehicle that is out of shape will drive past a police officer, pay a bribe. Next thing you know, it's crashed into somebody and, and killed them. You know? So... But, I mean, I, I like what Pastor Joe said. By the time we finish Ephesians, our understanding will be better. But God truly is a loving God. Amen. Uh, and glory says, I also believe there is no better time than God's time. So when we are praying, sometimes it's because it's not, it's not God's time yet. But when it is his time, he always shows himself faithful. Amen. 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 So don't give up. God is faithful. He hears and answers prayer. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If it blessed you, share it with a friend. For more information on how to fellowship with Accra Community Church on Zoom, visit our website, www.accrachurch.org. God bless you.